that God's mercy is everlasting. Uh, we uh, have been going through the book of Romans, and we've learned uh, that uh, Paul was in a similar predicament. Uh, he was doing a lot of things that he shouldn't have been doing, and, and he was thankful for the grace of God and thankful for his mercy. And now um, he's saying there's no condemnation, and you can live in freedom, and you can be who he created you to be because of the freedom that he has given you. He doesn't want to restrict you and take away um, who he created you to be, but yet he also expects you to live by his standards and what his word uh, says. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today as we close out this series. And while you're turning there, I heard the story about two old ladies who were walking along the shoreline of a lake one day and a frog came hopping up to them. Creaking with age, one of them slowly bent down and scooped up the frog with her hands. And she just stood there gazing at the frog, fascinated by how ugly this frog was. And suddenly, the frog croaked and said, hey, I'm not really a frog. If you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful prince and I'll do anything you want me to do for you. And the old lady was absolutely startled and she quickly slipped the frog into her pocket. For a while, the two ladies kept walking along the shoreline until her friend finally blurted out, well, are you going to kiss the frog or not? And the lady said, no, I guess not. At my age, I think I'll have more fun with a talking frog. Now, I, I don't know. I, I asked Lauren what her thoughts were on this this week, you know, because Lauren's single. And, and uh, I said, would you, what, what do you think? What would you do? She goes, I'd, I'd really have to think about it. I'd have to pray about it and, and see where uh, we stand on that. But sometimes, here's what we do. There, there's a point to that stupid story. Uh, here's what we do. We settle for less than God's best for our lives. Would you agree with me? Sometimes we slip into mediocrity. Sometimes we don't do what God's word is saying because, um, well, it just doesn't fit into our agenda or whatever. And we feel like maybe God is trying to take away some things from us and maybe take away some of our fun. We fail to realize that these things that God is telling us is absolutely best for us. And it's going to give us the, li the best life possible. And oftentimes, like I said, we, we, we settle. We settle for second best. And often, the older we get, the more stuck in our ways we get, and we become tired of change. Can I get an amen to that? I find myself getting more and more set in my ways all the time. I don't like change. I say it all the time. The only person who likes change is a wet baby. I don't like change. And, um, you know, Stacy has had to remind me that sometimes change is necessary. And she put this sign in our bathroom. I don't know if you can read this or not, but it says everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper. Be the change. And all the women said, amen. All right. Well, my prayer is this. My prayer is that we come into to this place today. It's my prayer that we come into this place to worship and we leave this place a little bit different than how we came in. My prayer is that we are all transformed by the word of God today. As we continue in this series in Romans, you might remember again, Paul is writing this letter to discuss just how messed up he is, but because of God's mercy, he's a new person. Even though he was raised as a Jew, and he looked at all of these Jewish traditions, he was steeped in all of these Jewish traditions, he knew them inside and out, he met Jesus, and everything changed. 
Romans chapter 11 last week, we know it was all about God's mercy on the Jews and the Gentiles and really everybody who's ever walked the face of the earth, His mercy is available and how we should show mercy to other people because of it. This week we see, according to Romans chapter 12, that um, uh, we are to sacrifice ourselves because of that. And Romans 12 starts off, and so, dear brothers and sisters, now the NIV says, therefore, brothers and sisters, and I know uh, Mary Bell has shared this with me before. Mary Bell says, anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you need to understand what it's there for, right? And so he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, and the reason that therefore is, is there is he's saying, listen, look back at all that God has done for you. Dear brothers and sisters, therefore, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The NIV again says, therefore, in view of God's mercy... Remember, Paul has just talked about chapter 11 and all of this mercy and all of these wonderful things that God has forgiven him of and he's forgiven all of the church at Rome of. And he's saying, because of that, here's what you need to do. You know, again, Paul didn't sit down and start chapter 12 and say, okay, now I'll, I'll start off this way. This is one continuous thought, one letter that he's writing to the church, and he's saying, people, listen, everything that God has done for you, the fact that there's no condemnation, the fact that you are free, the fact that he is showing mercy upon mercy upon you every single day because of everything that God has done for you, don't you think you can do better? Don't you want to do better when you realize what God has done for you, all that he's given to you, all that he's shown you, all he's forgiven you of, don't you think you can live your life a little bit better? In other words, to the church at Rome and for our purposes today, I think Paul is saying some things like this. Don't settle for church. Don't settle for just coming to church occasionally. Don't even settle for just a destiny in heaven. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's what Paul is saying we need to do in view of his mercy because of all that he's done for us. Offer your bodies as a sacrifice to God. D.L. Moody was quoted as saying the only problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. Isn't that what we do? God, here I am. Take me, use me, I'm giving my life to you. And then a day or two into it, or maybe it, not, it doesn't even take that long, we don't necessarily like what God is asking of us. We don't like what he's wanting us to do, or we don't like the way he's handling this situation, or maybe better yet, here's what we do. We make this deal with him and say, God, if you get me out of this situation, or if you answer this prayer, I'm going to give my life to you. And then he does that, and we say, okay, God, my life is yours, but then... It's not long before we say, all right, let's, we're going to go back to living for ourselves. And in these few verses that I've read this morning, Paul gives us the why, he gives us the how, he gives us the reason, um, or, or really basically what will happen if we worship him in this way. So let's look at those things very quickly. The first thing is this, why do we worship? Why do we worship? Because of all he's done for us. 
That's pretty simple, right? Look how verse 12 starts again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Because of God's love, he was prompted to show you mercy. He sent his son to die for you. He continues to show you mercy upon mercy by forgiving you of your sins every single day, by giving you time to repent of your sins every single day. We learned several weeks ago when we did our series on worship that worship should be our natural response because of what God has done for us, but we've often turned it into something else. Oftentimes our worship has been reduced to obligation. Oftentimes our worship is a show or it's a performance to us. Sometimes our worship is fueled by what we can get out of it. And Paul's saying, in view of God's mercy, that's how you want to treat worship? And I want to focus on corporate worship because there's two different things going on here. There's the, there's the corporate worship, which we're experiencing right now, and then there's the 24-7 lifestyle worship that we'll talk about in just a moment. Worship is so much more than what takes place between 10 and 11 o'clock on, on s- s- Sunday morning. But let, let's talk about corporate worship for just a few minutes now. Why do you come to church? Why are you here Well, your main purpose should be because you love Jesus. That's it. It's because we love Jesus. We want to meet together because we are his people. We've been instructed to meet. And so we want to do that because we want to be obedient. We want to honor him. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of benefits that go along with our corporate worship, right? There's a lot of uh, personal benefits. And there's a lot of benefits to the church because we, we meet together. There's fellowship, there's encouragement, there's learning, there's, there's service, there's training. We like the music, we love seeing friends, we like to laugh, we know it feels good that we're doing the right thing. There's a lot of personal reasons for us to want to come and worship Him here, but our main motivation for coming to church should be our love and appreciation for Jesus. And if what's happening up here doesn't necessarily suit what you like, you still should come and worship him. I I heard it put this way once. Some people come to church to worship. Some people come worshiping to church. Think about that for a moment. Some people come to church to worship. Some people come worshiping to church. I like that. And and here's what I'm thinking, just in case any of you are sitting out there going, well, I wonder what Ron thinks about this. I'm going to tell you, right? If we suddenly expect to just turn it on when we walk through the doors of the church, not usually going to happen. It can, but most Sundays, it's, it's just not. If we expect someone else to get me ready for worship, it's really probably not going to happen. If we come here with a critical mindset, we critique music and we critique the message or we critique the air temperature. I was doing that earlier today. Man, I was, uh, that's why I've got a jacket on today. I was freezing. Anybody else cold in here? We're not going to change anything. Sorry. Uh, that's just, sorry. I, I put a jacket on. That's what I did. All right. If you're hot, take a jacket off. If you don't have one to take off, I don't know what to tell you. 
All right. But anyway, we, we come in and, and we've got all of these things that we, we don't like. We don't whether it's chairs or pews or what someone might be wearing or not wearing. And, 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 and then if everything suits you, then you might have a great time. But that's not worship. Right. That sounds pretty harsh. But if we're just coming here for that reason, that's not worshiping our savior. Listen to what the psalmist says in chapter 95, verses 3 through 7. For the Lord God is a great God. Can I get an amen to that? He's a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people. He watches over the flock under his care. I think we forget this sometimes when we come to church. I know I do. I forget this sometimes. When I'm standing up here preaching the word of God, I forget sometimes just how awesome and how powerful and how mighty he is. And everything that there is, is his. We come in sometimes with our focus not where it needs to be. And I purposely left off the end of verse 7 for us to read out loud together. Would you read this from the screen with me, that verse 7? If only you would listen to his voice today. What a reminder. What a command for you and for me. If we would just listen to his voice. If we would only listen to the call of God. If we would just hear him. Hear what his word is saying. So we come in here and we worship him, we bow down, we worship him because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he's awesome. And we submit ourselves to him and we respond to him with praise and with adoration and thanksgiving and celebration and yes, even sometimes tears and grief and sometimes the admission of our struggles. And that leads us to the second part of this passage that Paul tells us about here. How do we worship? By the way we live our lives. We come in here and we worship corporately here by singing. And that's great. No. But that's only a tiny fraction of what worship should be. Worship's a lifestyle. Look at the second part of verse 1. It says this. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him. I like how the New Living Translation puts this. This is truly the way to worship him. Worshiping God on Sunday is great. We should do it. It's wonderful. We're instructed to do it. We're blessed when we do. But the way to truly worship him is by becoming a living sacrifice to offer everything that we have, everything that we are to him. I mean, think about it. In all honesty, how much have you sacrificed to be here today? How much? I mean, if you possibly, you know, you, you possibly passed up a day on the lake, maybe a day on the golf course, you know, maybe some sleeping in. Is that sacrifice? No. 
I think what Paul is saying here is this. When we wake up in the morning every day, we choose to take up our cross and follow him. We choose to sacrifice for him every single day of our lives. It's no longer an attitude of whatever I want to do that can make me happy. I do. It's an attitude of God. What can I do to serve you today even if I have to sacrifice? Even if I have to sacrifice everything. It means that day in and day out we choose moment by moment to offer all that we have to God. See, worship is focusing our minds on Him. Worship is focusing our attention on Him. It doesn't have to take place between 10 and 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. It's every moment that we're alive. You see, the, in many religions, the idea of worship is to put your mind in neutral, right? Just kind of lose your mind to the universe. Now here's the deal. God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He wants to worship, He wants us to worship Him thoughtfully. And that takes effort, that takes energy. It means not just going through the motions, but it really means thinking about it, really thinking about what you're doing every single day and how it's going to bring honor and glory to Him. Worship is giving our hearts, it's giving our affection to God. The Bible says that God wants to be loved. When was the last time you said, God, I love you? See, that's the underlying message of the book of Hosea, right? The underlying message there is God desire that we would not just simply serve him as our master, but we would want to. We would love to. We love him so much we can't help but serve him. He was basically saying in that book, don't just mindlessly and thoughtlessly go through the motions. Don't just do the rituals. Don't just bring me sacrifices for no reason. I want you to love me enough to do it. Stacy and I will have 30 years marriage in come December and uh, we're we're figuring some things out uh, after 30 years we're, we're getting it we're good someone asked me that you know here we've got Brad and Jessica just newly married just a few weeks ago and I said how you guys doing oh, we're figuring out yes yeah, Stacy and I are figuring out too 30 years later you know it's just it's just how it is you know and we've been married for 30 years now later this week Stacy's going to turn a certain age that has a zero I'm not, it has, I'm not going to tell you how much. It has a zero attached to it. That's all I'm going to say. But let's just say this Thursday, I come home with flowers. Well, first thing she's going to think, if I come home with flowers, she's probably going to think I started drinking. Uh, but um, <laughs> seriously, if I come home with flowers and I give them to her and I say, here are some flowers and I'm going to give them to you for three reasons. Number one, it's your birthday. Number two, I'm your husband. And number three, a lot of husbands give their wives flowers on their birthday. Here you go. How is that going to go, do you think? How's she going to respond? Is she going to respond, oh, I feel so loved. Thank you. No. Because she doesn't want duty. Right? She doesn't want obligation. She doesn't want duty. She wants desire. She doesn't want obligation. She wants passion. And that's what God wants from us. 
we can't slip into the habit of saying, I'm going to go to church today, God, and I'm going to do it for three reasons. Number one, well, it's Sunday. Number two, Christians go to church on Sunday. Number three, I'm a Christian, so I guess I better go. Oh, that touches the heart of God, doesn't it? I can't imagine him being thrilled about that because God doesn't want ritual and religion and rules and regulation. He wants us to have a relationship with him every single day of our lives. And he's passionate about it. He says, I want you to love me as much as I love you. Now, I don't know if we can or not. Because his love for us is incredible. It's measureless, I think. But that's what we need to strive for. Is that, our, that, that we come as close to poss- as possible to loving him as much as he loves us. And this is an everyday kind of thing. It's not just a Sunday morning for an hour kind of thing. He wants us on Sunday to be here for sure. But he wants to be with you every single moment of every single day. As Kendall mentioned earlier, you are a part of a family. You're a part of the family of God. And when you're a part of a family, there's expectations that come along with being a part of the family. How many of you, when you were growing up, there were certain expectations placed upon you about what you were supposed to do in the house? Anybody with me on that? You had certain expectations because you were a part of the family. You had certain household chores. Sometimes the chores were outside. Um, My chore most times was dishes. In fact, I was affectionately known as the dish man in my house. That was great. Uh, Some of you may have grown up on a farm, and you pretty much had a job from the time you were able to walk. Most of us, when we were kids, we just had to help out around the house somewhere, right? You couldn't expect to just live in the house without any obligations, without uh, any jobs at all, and expect to have benefits without contributing in some manner. And at a family meal, when the meal was over, you didn't just get up and walk away, right? You stuck around, you helped clean up the table, you washed the dishes, that sort of thing. See, it's different when you visit a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant, right, you have the expectation of all you have to do is pay your check and you get up and leave. You don't have to worry about who cleans it up or anything like that. You go to a hotel. You don't have to worry about who's going to make your bed, who's going to take out the garbage. You just pay your bill and then leave. One of the problems, I think, today in the church is that too many people treat the church like a restaurant or a hotel, not like family. Like a restaurant, you come in when it's convenient, sit there and be fed. If you like the service, maybe you'll leave a tip in the offering plate and come back again. We reduce the church to a service institution and we approach it with a consumer mentality. Listen guys, church is not about what you get. It's about what you give. And it's just a small part of your worship. And you leave this place on Sunday and then you get ready to go out and you sacrifice for the cause of Christ. And you know what happens when you do this? When you approach your life in this way, what happens when we live a lifestyle of worship like this? 
We're changed. We're not the same people. We are transformed into something that God wants us to be. Look at what verse 2 says. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The behaviors and the customs of the world back then and the behavior and the customs of the world today, they're really not, much all, they're really not all that different, right? It's about self-gratification. It's about instant gratification. It's about you making sure you've got what you want when you want it. As long as you have everything that you want or need, everything's good. But God says, listen, don't copy that. That's how the world thinks. I want you to think differently. I want you to be transformed by the way that you think. When we spend time offering ourselves to God in worship, not just uh, on Sunday morning, but every day, it transforms who we are. As we worship the truth of God's love, it begins to change the way that we think. And when we change the way that we think, it changes the way that we act. And then before you know it, you are not the same person that you used to be. Your life is transformed. And if you're sitting there today and you're saying, hey, I became a Christian a long time ago, but I really don't feel any different today than I did way back then. Guess what's happened? You're not living your life as a sacrifice. You're expecting that you just gave your life to Christ and he's just going to automatically change it because you made a decision a long time ago. Listen, again, I I brought this up several times. You've probably read the book, um, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, the very first line in the book. It's not about you. Life's not about you. Church isn't about you. It's not about us. Corey Tin Boom was once asked if it were difficult for her to remain humble. She had gained notoriety because of everything that she had written in her life in a concentration camp during World War II. Her reply was simple when asked how she remained humble. She said, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? She continued, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. Can I be honest with you? I'm good at being a donkey sometimes. (laughs) Some of you are too. But God can use donkeys. God has spoken through donkeys (laughs) before, right? You ever wonder how our world got in the shape it's in? You ever wonder how much evil, how so much evil has become so prevalent in our society today? It's because people are more worried about themselves than they are other people. They're not willing to sacrifice. It's all about them. I heard a preacher say one time, we really shouldn't expect the the world to act like the world We shouldn't expect non-Christians to act like anything but non-Christians. I agree, but as Christians, our standard's higher. We can't copy the world. We can't act like the world acts. We have to raise the standard. We shouldn't just live our lives trying to scrape by and just make it into heaven by the skin of our teeth. Because of His great mercy, 
because of everything that He's done for us, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. I opened a, the sermon with a story about a frog, so let's close with one about a frog. Sound good? The boy told his father, Dad, three frogs are sitting on a limb. They're hanging over a pool. One frog decided to jump off into the pool. How many frogs are left on the limb? The dad replied, two. The son replied, no, I'll repeat it. There's three frogs. One decides to jump in. How many are left? The dad said, oh, I see what you're doing here. If one decides to jump in, the other two are going to follow him. So there's none left. The boy said, no, dad, the answer is three. The frog only decided to jump in. Didn't say he did it. How many of you said, I have decided to follow Jesus, but you haven't jumped? I mean, you really haven't jumped in. No. You see, and, and you may have decided then to follow him, and you did jump, but then you got back out, or you're having trouble daily jumping following him and really decide it's a daily decision it's not a one time across the board thing it's a decision to wake up and say listen today Jesus I'm going to live for you but here's what I fear a lot of people have done a lot of people in our churches all across America is this we say we, we decide to follow you Jesus we might even back it up with a public confession maybe even baptism but if we're truly followers of Christ we give our bodies to Christ because of all that he's done for us and we say everything that I am everything that I have it's yours God I want to be that living sacrifice May I be pleasing to you. This is the way to truly worship Him. We don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world, but we let God transform us into a new person by changing the way that we think. And then, here's the kicker, we don't even have time to go into this, but when you live your life this way, then we'll know what God's will is for our lives. You ever walked around going, oh, I just wish I knew what God would do. I wish I knew God's will for my life. I just don't know what he wants you to do. Don't copy the patterns of the world. Don't behave like they do. Offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Then you'll know what his will is for your life. We're going to offer a song of decision this morning and maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision to follow him. You've never confessed Jesus as the Christ. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've never said, I have decided to follow him or you've never repented of your sins or been baptized into him. We encourage you to do that today, to make that decision. Maybe you're, you're here in our service and you want to come to the front and do that publicly today or maybe you're watching online. You can text uh, the connection or you can text text <clears throat> church connection. I sound like a politician getting mixed up every once in a while, don't I? All right. You can text the word ready to our church connection number. Um, anything you may need. You, you may be sitting out there and you might be thinking, you know what? 
I've just, man, I've been living for me. Maybe you want to publicly repent of that and ask somebody to pray with you, or maybe you just want to do that from your seat. Um, whatever it is the Lord might be impressing upon you today, I cannot plead with you enough like the Apostle Paul did to the church at Rome to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Let's stand together and let's pray.